It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Lucky Leg Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you Friday, August 26th. If I sound a little bit amped, it's because I am about to get on a red eye, head to New York City for 16 days to cover the U.S. Open for Tennis Now. I'll be there with my colleague, Richard Pagliar. We're also probably going to see Rich, uh, Eric Gudris there, and they're all going to be here on this podcast where we talk about the 2022 U.S. Open. Big storyline, Serena Williams could be her last appearance at a Grand Slam, could be the last appearance of her career. It'll happen on home soil. It'll happen beneath the bright lights of the big city of New York. It's going to be amazing. We talk about her on the podcast, her legacy, of course, her impact on and off the court, and also what she can potentially do here at the U.S. Open. And we also talk about a player who's not going to be in New York. That's Novak Djokovic. Some interesting takes from Richard and Eric about the future of Novak Djokovic. I think the Nole fam might be happy to hear those two takes. And, of course, we break down the men's and women's singles draw, look at some of the players who can do some damage, try to handicap this wildly unpredictable women's singles draw, and also look at what we might have in store for Rafael Nadal, the four-time U.S. Open champion, and Daniil Medvedev, the defending champion. Who has the upper hand? What about that Nadal, uh, rather medvedev Kyrgios matchup that we could see in the round of 16, or what are some of the other great matchups we could see during week one in New York? So... It's Richard Pagliaro, Eric Gudris, and myself. Happy to talk tennis and happy to have you guys listening. Uh, You can sit tight and listen to the interview, and I will see you guys on the other side. Richard and Eric, it's been quite a while, as as obviously we've just proven by using multiple Zooms, and me, the foolish one who really has very bad Zoom skills. Uh, Let me put that on my list for things I need to work on after the U.S. Open, but for now, we're together. It's great to speak with all you guys and talk a little U.S. Open. How are you both doing? Doing great. Yeah, it's great to speak with you guys. I'm really excited to talk about the draw. We're going to talk about the draw. We're also going to talk about a woman by the name of Serena Williams. Everybody's got a Serena on their mind as the 2022 U.S. Open approaches. Everybody's got their own specific way to relate that what's what's happening, which is likely going to be the end of Serena's career over these next two weeks. Richard, why don't you start us off? Give us some of your thoughts. How are you feeling both about the legacy of Serena? And then, of course, we can hit on as we continue to discuss her for a bit. We can hit on her place in the draw and her chances of actually winning some matches in New York. Yeah, those are all great questions. I mean, to me, her legacy is impeccable. She's an iconic champion, you know, the greatest player, greatest female player I've ever had the privilege to cover, loved watching her. She's a force of nature as a competitor. And I felt 
she was just really exciting because she was so contradictory in a lot of ways. Like a lot of people painted her as like someone who really didn't respect tennis tradition early on. But if you just look at the way she played the game, her serve is one of the most iconic traditional strokes in the history of the game. I mean, just the way she played, she was a game changer in a way, but she's also very much a traditionalist in a way. And I just love watching both of them. And also I think, you know, we just get so accustomed to her and Venus because they've become part of pop culture. You see her doing podcasts with Meghan Markle or she's on stage with Beyonce at Madison Square Garden. Where I live in New York, she's on more commercials now for non-tennis products than ever, than ever, than I've ever seen her in her career. She's like a powerhouse as an entrepreneur so that she's able to already cross over and be successful in other careers aside from tennis is already to me amazing but the thing i'll remember about her most is just as a force of nature as a competitor her and rafa nadal are the two greatest competitors i think i've ever seen in any sport just their their ferocity and their will to win and that uh i also feel like she doesn't get class that she was classy in a lot of ways like she would applaud the opponents for she didn't stall she didn't go to the towels she didn't excessively bounce the ball she got out there you gave her the ball and let's get it on. Let's play tennis. I love that about her, that she was very pure in that way, even though she gets portrayed as, you know, she was a hothead. She was going after people, stuff like that. But she was a, a real fair competitor, I felt. <laughs> 23-time Grand Slam champion, which is the most in the open era. And then before I hand it to you, Eric, I just want to say one thing. There was something about Serena where she was almost offended when somebody was beating her, like, she took it as an insult. Yes, she was a great sportswoman after the matches, but in competition, I enjoyed so much watching her and knowing how much she hated to lose, how badly she burned to win, uh, seeing her down in matches and fighting her way back in them, like it was life or death out there on the tennis court. She gave everything, every part of her to her tennis, and uh, I always admired that about you. What are some of the thoughts that... Uh, that have been running through your head, Eric, about the great Serena Williams? Well, the thing that's been running through my head the most is with any great person of royalty, and Serena is tennis royalty, and any great ruler is someone who's ruled women's tennis for many, many, many years. With any great dynasty, there's sort of ups and downs and a careers within a career. And yeah. Serena has proven that one can have careers within a career. I mean, I'm thinking specifically when she won the 2007 Australian Open final, when that was, she had achieved so much and then she dealt with injury, she dealt with depression, and then everyone thought, well, it's over. She's, she's tennis has passed her by and she proved everybody wrong. And then she's had multiple comebacks throughout her career for various things. And I think it's just the longevity. I mean, she has spanned generations, literally, and in, the in, in terms of tennis, um, that she has, I mean, her, like she defeated Steffi Groff when she was starting out on the tour. Now here she is. So she's just spanned generations. And I don't think we're, we'll never ever see someone do that just span generations and be a dominant force yeah it's quite remarkable she's 40 years old now about to play the u.s open one last time and, and right the, the the amount of grand slam she won after turning 30 i believe it's nine and i believe the next closest was either three or four 
she had this um, measure of success after turning 30, as you mentioned, where we thought maybe her career would have ended before that. She, she very well could have ended her career and went on to bigger and better things. But the amount of success she's had after turning 30 and, of course, winning the Australian Open while pregnant, I think uh, s uh, several weeks was also remarkable. Yeah, there's just been so many twists and turns to this incredible career. Richard, what do you think she's capable of doing in this Grand Slam event in New York? Pretty decent draw. Eric and I were chatting on it on Slack yesterday. Decent draw for her, right? Perhaps she can um, make some waves in the first week. Love to see her get to the second week. It, it's really hard to know because you want to see how how she adapts if the court is playing fast, as as players are saying. But I did feel like she was getting better progressively a little bit, even though the the Raducanu lost in Cincy. I felt like she was hitting the ball well. To me, it comes down, you know, to the movement. How well is she going to be able to move against the younger players, and also, you know, how is she going to handle it emotionally? Because we don't know. We saw what happened in Canada, where she basically broke down, and it's understandable why she would be so emotional. And in Cincy. I think that's why she, she got off the court so quick. She didn't want to break down. So emotion can be very empowering when the fans are going to give you the love, but at the same time, it can be debilitating because you're not the same player anymore and you want to give it back. But it, to me, that's going to be fascinating, the dynamic between the crowd and her, because so many times recently, especially like the Osaka match, they're there for her. They want to give it to her, but you know, freaky things happen. And also, you just don't know how she's going to react emotionally the whole world, not just the tennis world, the whole world, sports world, I mean, is going to be watching all these matches. So it's a lot of pressure on her. I, I, I'm fascinated to see how she, you know, emotionally responds. Eric, how are you going to react emotionally? Well, I think it's interesting because I, I read an interview with Martina Navratilova uh, and basically said, as she went through the same thing, is that when you know it's the end, you don't know how you're going to feel because there's all this stuff processing in your mind, especially if you're one of the great champions of all time. And you know it's the end, um, and you still want to win. You still want to go out there and perform at your best, but you don't know how that's going to go. And then, of course, with the crowd and the emotions. So I think that's kind of the whole X factor here because the crowd's going to be all for Serena. They're going to cheer every point. And if she's finding herself fighting in a match, that, there's that sense of like, well, this could be it. So that's, I mean, that could be great, great drama, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, certainly the good signs are that she hired Renee Stubbs. I mean, we would never know if Stubbsy would be a long-term solution, but it's nice to know that Serena's looking for some solutions for her game. She, I think, and alluded to, alluded to her reaction after Cincinnati, where she got off that court quickly and really didn't seem to want to hang around. I think she's still quite ticked off that she's not playing well. I think she really, really wants to put on a good show and win some matches here in New York. I'm pretty sure she believes she can win the whole thing. That's the funny thing about Serena. Of course, none of us think that at this point. We've just been through so much, so much and seen how she's been able to perform these last couple of years. We've got pretty low expectations. But Serena, deep down, I think she thinks she can win. What do you think about that thought, Richard? Do you think Serena thinks she's like, I'm going to win this tournament? Or do you think she's realistic in her own mind? 
It's a great question. I do think Serena Williams is such a champion that Serena Williams at 40, Serena Williams at 50, if you gave her a racket at 60, if she had a play, I think she always believes she can win. And why wouldn't she? Because I think one of her great legacy moments is whatever style you threw at her, she beat that style. I mean, I mean, look, Hingis, Davenport, anybody you put in front of her, she figured out a way to beat them. So I think she's always going to have that within her. She's a winner. But she's also realistic. She's 40 years old. She's a mom. Hey, for all we know, maybe she's pregnant now. We don't know. You know, you don't know what injury or what sort of health issues she's dealing with. It's going to be really tough, I think, realistically to get to the fourth round. But I think if she got on a roll and she got her serve going, she got the crowd behind her, good things can happen. But it's just so it's she's Serena Williams. Like if you told me she was going to lose in the first round or you told me she was going to get to the final, I could believe both things could happen. I mean, she's so She's just so unique and so unpredictable, and she's still explosive offensively on the serve. To me, it comes down to the movement and the emotions. But I would definitely never, ever write her. I don't think she would be out there if she didn't believe she could win round. I mean, I don't think she's like a sacrificial lamb, like I'm just going to wave goodbye. I mean, she's a winner. She's about winning. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric, what do you think of the – oops, quite a big echo there. The second round matchup potentially with Annette Contevate seems like if you had to face a top eight seed, maybe Contevate is the is the one that wouldn't be so bad to face early. No, I totally agree. I think this draw um, completely worked out for Serena. What she makes of it, we'll see what happens. But to land in the Contevate section, and even if she plays Contevate in the second round. That's a more manageable encounter than, say, playing Iga Svantec. So I think the other thing that's going to be a factor is that Serena is going to play on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Serena's played on Arthur Ashe Stadium probably more times than any other player. I, I could be wrong, but she knows that court better than anybody. And that's like a home court advantage for her. And that's a, that's a big stadium, but she knows that stadium. And maybe that's the X factor too, that a lot of these other players are coming in there to have to navigate. It's a, that could be the X factor in, in Serena's favor. Good point. It sounds like we're all a little bit hopeful about Serena and her chances this week, given that we wanted more for her at Wimbledon and didn't work out against Harmony Tan. We saw her get a win in Canada. That was nice. But then the last two matches have been a little bit one-sided against. Let's hope she can turn things around and make some noise. But as we as we talk some other U.S. Open storylines, there's it's not just about Serena, though I think the uh, heavy focus will be on Serena, certainly in the first week. But what do you guys think about Novak Djokovic? We all expected that this was going to happen. But now that it's here, and Novak Djokovic is missing another Grand Slam, he's not going to play the U.S. Open due to his decision to remain unvaccinated. And, of course, the U.S. government isn't allowing unvaccinated foreign travelers in. So no Novak at the U.S. Open. Richard, how do we feel about this? It's really unfortunate for the tournament, for the fans, and for the history of the sport because it's the first time in his entire career that he's going to miss two two Grand Slams in the same season, two Grand Slams that he was favored to win both of them. I mean, let's face it, if he had played at all – Look what he did at Wimbledon. I mean, he to me, he was definitely the favorite if he had played, even if he didn't have a tune-up in Cincy. You know, I would say he's the favorite. So you got to look at historically what is it going to mean, and you got to look at what does it mean to Novak going forward. 
And let's say that he can start playing regularly next year. I think it's going to mean that you're going to see him play until 40 years old. I think he's going to keep playing because that record is what he wants and he's still capable of getting it. The question is how many more is Rafa? Could Rafa exploit this and, and come out and, you know, widen the gap to two more slams? It's definitely possible. So I think it's a real crossroads year this year. But I think long-term, it's just going to make him more hardcore. And I think you'll see him extending his career because of it, because he basically played, what, like not even half a year this year. Yeah. No, it's been it's been very unfortunate. We haven't seen a lot of him. Even at Roland Garros, he was kind of not really in top form ahead of it. He just hasn't had any rhythm. It's crazy. Eric, do you agree with Richard that Novak might want to extend his career? And if Novak does want to extend his career because of missing out on these opportunities. Do you feel like maybe he'll run into the same wall that Roger Federer has kind of recently ran into? It's not so easy to keep winning slams. We didn't think these guys were going to do it after turning 30. Now they're 35 and plus. It's even harder. I actually totally agree with Richard. I think next year um, we'll see what happens with Australia. I think that's still a little TBD, but I think that Novak Djokovic in 2023 is going to be a force to be reckoned with because, as said, he's will be well rested, yes, and he will be more than motivated to continue. And if anyone that can stay physically at the top of his game into his late 30s, it's going to be Novak Djokovic. So I think this may actually be the calm before the storm because if he is able to. Uh, if all Grand Slam tournaments resume normal operations, then he's still going to be the big favorite. So I think this may fuel him even more to go after that that Grand Slam record. So I think it's stay tuned. Fans are going to like this podcast. This is, I mean, obviously it's been a tough year. Didn't go down the way his Novak or his the Nole fam wanted it to go, but from the likes of what you guys are saying, I mean, and I have to agree with you though cautiously because, you know, you're right. He's well-rested. There's not a lot of tread on his tires, so to speak, because he hasn't played that much this year. That could help him. He could be a young 35 next year and you guys could be right. It could be, even if Rafa stretches the gap to two slams by winning in New York, you still think that Novak's got room to run. That's basically what you're telling me, Richard, isn't it? You think it sounds like you're giving Novak the vote for the all-time Grand Slam men's singles title lead down the road. Well, you, you want to see him stay healthy, but let, let's just parallel him to Zverev. Zverev beat him, and Zverev won the gold medal, but Zverev's coming off surgery. If you told me 2023 was starting tomorrow, who's more likely to win a major, Novak or Zverev, if they could play all the majors? I mean, so you have young guys who are really talented or capable, but – He's not I, – I, I mean, look at this guy's record. and He's one of the great five-set records in the history of the open era, modern tennis. I mean, he's his fitness is undeniable. And like Eric said, he's rested now. I think it's just going to light a fire under him. And his whole career, you could say, in a way, he was operating in the shadows of these two icons, and it just fueled him more. And I think he's the kind of guy that he's so hardcore in his beliefs that it's almost like – He's going to show everyone, like, look, this is my belief. I stood up for what I believe, and I'm going to show you I was right. I think it's almost gives him a righteousness about his, the way he's going to play. And, uh, you know, fans still – he got a really good reception at Wimbledon, I thought. It'll be interesting to see in London at um, at Labor Cup. I think the fans will embrace him. 
Yeah, you know it's funny. We'll switch su subject shortly, but Novak's not going to make the World Tour Finals. Like, I... hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He's nowhere near in the race, so it's like right, he's not going to have that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's going to have lots of rest. So if you, but if you guys are right, he's going to be back with a vengeance this year. I tend to agree with you. I think that's likely to happen, Eric. Where do we go next? We can we can chat a little bit about the way the the men's draw broke or the women's draw. What do you want to talk about? Well, I'll say this. I, I think it's virtually impossible to predict who's going to win on the women's singles side. Uh, I, as I've said before in many other majors, I think basically any woman that gets into the, the, one, the 128 draw who has a great two weeks can potentially win the title. And we've seen that happen multiple times. Yeah. So I think the men's draw might be a tad easier, although I think this year's men's draw is, I wouldn't say it's wide open, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of players. Um, I think it's interesting to perhaps start with Medved because of course he's defending champion. And I think there's a few question marks for him coming into this open. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep you there then. Who's the man to beat Medvedev or Nadal? You think if, if it was going to be one of those two. Look, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna want somebody to play for a Grand Slam title, let's call me Rafael Nadal. Yes, well said. Uh, so I think even though there's still the considered the physical considerations for Nadal on hard courts over two weeks, look, this is a great opportunity for Nadal to potentially win yet another major. I mean, it's just him kind of managing managing his body, his mind for the two weeks. So I think he's, he's, it's incredible to say this, but I, I think he's like the slight favorite to win again. Yeah. Richard, do you feel the same way? What are your thoughts on, on the, the, the two co-favorites, which are Nadal and Medvedev and maybe a little bit of thoughts on the rest of the draw. Anybody else with a, with a, a puncher's chance in there? Well, before the draw came out, I would have said, you know, Medvedev's a favorite, and I was going to pick Alcaraz as my favorite just because I, I love his game. But after the draw, I got to say Rafa's got the best – to me, he's got the best draw. So I would say Rafa, to me right now, is a favorite based on the draw, although he's had some other off-court stuff that's that's that he's dealing with. But I think Medvedev, he's in good shape, but I think he also showed some vulnerability in terms of how Kyrgios played him in Canada – drawing him in, making – you've got to take him out of the comfort. you got to get him off the baseline, and Curious is able to do that. Since the past, to a lesser extent, was able to do it, but Medvedev, you know, he just blew the serve in that one game at the end. He had, like, two or three double faults, which is yeah. uncharacteristic of him. So I think it was maybe more him being a little bit off or a little bit tight, but he hasn't really been Medvedev that we saw in Australia. I mean, if you look at, at some of the recent tournament, he hasn't really been at optimum level. But I think, you know, the three out of five, it gives him a way to work himself into the tournament. But to me, that Kyrgios match, if that comes off, I mean, Kyrgios could beat him there. I mean, that, that's a dangerous match. And then also you're looking at Felix, who 
potentially who held a match point against him in Australia as another guy there. I just think he has a tougher road, but, you know, he's still arguably the best hardcore player. So I, I don't know. If you put a gun in my head, I would definitely give Rafa a slight edge. I was going to pick Alcaraz, but Alcaraz is in a tough quarter. And, uh, you know, this is his eighth major, so he's still got some room to operate. But I, I still like Alcaraz maybe getting to the semi. But Sinner is another guy I would look at. I watched him practice a little bit out there. He looks really fit, and he looks clear in terms of how he wants to play, what he wants to do. It's just his serve isn't quite as big as, like, a Berrettini, let's say. If Berrettini got hot, he's been a semifinalist there before, and you know he can dominate on serve. Felix, if his serve is clicking, has a great serve. And Steph, if his serve is on, Steph's serve, he holds serve with the best of them. So, you know, there's a few names there. I would lean toward Rafa right now. Yeah, you mentioned most You mentioned most of the names of uh, players that, you know, have that chance to get into the semifinals, Sinner, Alcaraz. So you didn't mention Herketch, but he's another good player. There's right. a lot of these ATP players that are, feels like they're blossoming and it feels like they're ready to take that next step. I'd put Taylor Fritz in there for sure. You never know with Francis Tiafo also in New York, fourth round in the last two seasons, still hasn't reached the quarterfinal, but Cam Norrie is another tough player. I'm just kind of scanning the draw here. And there's the wild cards like Cressy, but I think you're right. And maybe Eric, you agree that the trip with Medvedev is that he might have to face Kyrgios. That could be a very tough matchup. And then Felix also, whereas Rafa might have things a little bit easier. And then like, like you said, if the ab, if the abdominals clear, He's in pretty good shape. I do. I would very seriously worry about Rafa if he ends up facing Alcaraz, though. That's one thing I would say. I might be an all bets are off match there because having watched those two play the last two times at Indian Wells, I was there in person and Rafa was able to win, but ended up with a, a cracked rib. And then it's just it, that's going to be a tough matchup. Um, um, how would you view that one if it happened, Eric? Well, I think it'll be interesting if that did happen, the crowd support, because, uh, you know, Alcaraz, both Nadal and Alcaraz played at the Tennis for Peace exhibition a few nights ago. Um, and it was interesting that when Alcaraz played in one of the matches, and he was in a quartet with three other American men, Alcaraz got the biggest cheer <laughs> of any of them. So there's a, there's this crowd dynamic that the crowd loves Alcaraz. Of course, the crowd loves Nadal. Wh which way is the crowd going to go in that match? Um, again, I also think that be, again, going back to playing, that's going if that happens, it's going to be at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Rafael Nadal has played on that court way more times than Alcaraz. That's a home court advantage in some ways for Nadal. There's that, that X factor thing going in. I just feel that Nadal has, of course, more experience in these huge matches. And I think that that could, that could be, that could be the turning point. So yeah. I, if, if that, that happened, I'm so going for Nadal. Yeah, he's a four-time champ. He's proven himself at New York quite a bit. If he's healthy, I think I think that's a, a very safe and good call to make. Uh, and, uh, it'll be up to Daniel Medvedev to step up and defend that title with a lot of roadblocks. Now, we switch over to the women's side. As you mentioned, Eric, and I'm completely agreeing with you on this, virtually impossible to pick a winner, given the way that Iga Spiontek has come back down to earth a bit. She's not overly thrilled about the U.S. Open balls. You know, there's... She's not at peak form like she was at Roland Garros, and I think maybe Wimbledon took a 
a little bit of wind out of her sails. That was a bit of a confusing experience for her. Um, and she's just come back down to earth, basically. So what that means is that it opens the doors for a lot of potential champions at the U.S. Open. I was asked to pick a winner on a podcast a couple of days ago. I came up with Simona Halep, but I don't have very much conviction by that. Um, Eric, what do, what do you see from the draw? To, does the draw help any players? And do you see potential runs for any of the top WTA players in there? Or do you think it's basically too tough to predict even that? Well, I'm going to focus on two players. One, I'm going to focus on Naomi Osaka because she's unseated, yet Crazy. she's Naomi Osaka. Now, she has, does have a tough opening around against Daniel Collins. But, I look, if Osaka can get some momentum, get some wins, get some confidence, she could potentially make a deep run. So I think that she is one of the players to watch to see what she's going to do. I think the other player to watch is Jessica Pagula because she's had such a great season and she's going to have the crowd with her and she, she could potentially have a great, great run. Yes. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I can't predict a winner because I just feel like it's, it's too hard, but I think those are going to be two players to watch. Also, we can't forget Caroline Garcia because she has had such a great run of late. And again, not saying she's going to win, but someone that's got the confidence, has the wins, could could uh, could make a deep run. But again, it's it's just too hard to tell on the yeah. Yeah, I mean, lo and behold, the two hottest players on the WTA tour coming into the U.S. Open are Caroline Garcia, who you mentioned, who's won 26 out of 30 matches, took the title in Cincinnati, and Beatrice Haradmaya, also red hot, and Bernarda Pera. There's a lot of weird names that have really been been performing quite well, which is going to make it even more interesting. Richard, what do you think of um, the women's draw? What do you think of the names that Eric mentioned? And do you have a few of your own that maybe you see poking through? Eric mentioned Naomi Osaka. There's also Bianca Andrescu, another former champ who could do some damage and who is also unseated. Yeah, well, the three players I were looking at sort of to break through, just based on what we've seen so far before the draw came out, were Garcia, Coco, and Bianca, because I just I like Bianca's game. And, you know, Coco's world number one in doubles now. She's had great results in doubles. The crowd loves her there, and she gets super pumped to play there. But as you guys just said, you look at that quarter. It's the third quarter of the draw. You got Halep there. You got Keys, who had a great Cincy run, a former U.S. Open finalist. You have Camila Georgie, who's upset big-time players in New York. You got golf there. You have uh, Haddad Maya, who's had a great summer. You have Andrescu there. And Garcia, who's been the hottest woman in tennis. I mean, she, and her serve has been on fire. So, Garcia is one I would definitely I would definitely watch out for her. It's just uh, she's kind of locked into that super aggressive return positioning. And I'm wondering on the fast open court, she runs into someone who's got some heat on the serve like Coco, Madison Keys. They can serve huge. I mean, are you going to be able to get away with that return position? She was able to do it against Kvitova and she looked great um, in Cincy. So she's one to watch. I agree with Eric on Naomi. If she can get by um, – Danielle in that opener, and that's a night match. It's going to be an electric match. If she can get through that, I could see her really doing damage 
And uh, I think Emma, it's going to be tough for her to get to the second week just based on so many power players in that section that she's in. But I'd like to see her, you know, you know, back it up and, and come through. Sakari is another one that always intrigues me, even though she's only won one career title and, you know, she's been close to reaching a major final in Paris, but she had a great run last year. A lot of people were disappointed that she didn't beat Raducanu, but, you know, she's fit. She struggled, but I think if she got it going, I just, you know, she fights hard. She just hasn't sort of got over the hump yet. I guess you could say the same for Sabalenka as well. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. think Giga as dominant as she was early. I think the second serve, they're getting on it. They're really going after the second serve, as you guys said. The stuff about the balls, look, it doesn't bother me when players are on it. Be honest. Say what you mean. But I think if I'm an opponent and I'm hearing that the week before, two weeks before the U.S. Open, I'm saying, whoa, she's a little bit unsettled. She's a little bit rattled to come yeah. out that hard about a ball that you've been playing with. You played with it in Canada. You played with it in Cincy. I'm sure they shipped you some balls to hit with, too. It's not like you never played with the ball. So I think, to me, that's a little bit of – she's edgy. If yeah. I hear that yeah. as a player, I'm like, look, I'm you know, I'm feeling good about it. So I don't think she's going to win it just because of that, although oddsmakers have her as a strong favorite still. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It's like the, the women's ball at the U.S. Open is regular duty compared to extra duty, so the felt is more tightly wound. It's yeah. funny the kind of stuff you end up reading about when you're covering tennis, right? But, yeah, yeah all, all good points. I mean, Sakari is a good call. You know, nobody's expecting anything from her because she hasn't yeah. really been the same player since reaching the Indian Wells final, but we know yeah. what she can do. So that's a good one there, I think. I just want to add one thing. Uh, let's not forget about Madison Keys, right? a former finalist. Uh, she could potentially face Coco Goff in the third round. Yeah. Which would be a blockbuster. And Madison Keys uh, knows how to play in New York. So and when Madison Key is feeling the ball, it's hard to beat her. So she likes the ball. Probably she won. likes the ball. Yeah, she's a Wilson player and she likes the ball. And she, she liked it last week, too. <laughs> Definitely one, one to watch. Absolutely. That third rounder, with, if Keys and Goff end up squaring off in the third round, that'll be another great match to watch, including other third rounders I've noticed where Hadad Maya is locked up. See it, two of the hottest players that nobody's kind of been thinking about until this season. That would be interesting. And also Borna George could play Carlos Alcaraz in the third round. I don't know how Borna is going to recover after Cincinnati with his shoulder, but if he's in the same form he was in, that could be a great week match right. to end week one. Absolutely. I just want to add one quick thing more about Anjabur. Uh yes. She's fifth here at the U.S. Open. Um, she hasn't didn't do a whole lot on the summer hard courts. Um, probably feeling a little bit of a hangover after the Wimbledon final. Um, such a popular player. She's going to receive so much crowd support. Maybe she'll be kind of uh, fly under the radar, even though she's so popular. Uh, no one's really talking about her. But hey, it's Anjabur. Maybe this is her time to make another final at a major good point i don't see why not i mean yeah we haven't you know we tend to get in this little thing where we don't give much thought to players who don't do damage in either canada or cincinnati but it's it's not always the case that you need to in order to play well at the u.s open she's mature she's really made her way through the grand slams well of late and i would expect her to play well opens up with madison Brengel in the first round who can be tricky um 
We've got a couple more minutes to wrap it up. I'll give each of you guys a final thought, starting with Richard. Anything that you didn't get to speak about that you'd like to now? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, I got a lot on my mind, but I know you guys have been so patient. I'm going to keep it short. I'm just going to say I hope that Venus doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I was on a ESPN Zoom call the other day with John McEnroe. He, he believes that Venus is going to go out with Serena at the Open, that she's just going to do it in a quiet manner and if that's what she wants that's great but I, I hope that people that she gets her own moment and her own time you know to say to say goodbye because she's been so influential so important I don't know how much longer she's going to play or what her plan is but I hope that people when they think about Serena think about Venus too because without Venus Serena would be Serena but she wouldn't be the Serena we know so I hope that that people just remember. I mean, I know fans all love her. I'm not saying people are forgetting about her, but I hope she has her, that she gets the love too. Yes, yeah. Memo to fans at the U.S. Open, just double your double your energy and back both sisters the same way. They both deserve But the other quick thing I want to say, that the one, you know, there's a section in there with Tommy Paul, Corda, a lot of the American guys sort of bunched up. And because Tommy Paul's played great all the time, but, you know, him and Corda in there together, that's a little bit of a, of a bummer. So I'm not sure about the American men. I don't have a strong feeling either way, but I'd like to see somebody do well. And the last thing I'd say is just hitting on Eric's point from earlier. I think Nadal or Alcaraz are so popular. If they played Isner, if they played any American guy, I really believe the fans would be on their side. They're so hugely popular, both of them there. Nadal, obviously for years and years, but people love Alcaraz there. They love them in Miami. And I think Eric's is spot on. Those two guys are going to get massive crowd support. Yeah, and we've seen it before with Isner. Just ask Gail Monfils, who had the crowd, I think it was a decade ago. Um, Eric, any thoughts um, that you'd like to add before we say goodbye for now? Absolutely. I, I absolutely second uh, Richard's um, thoughts on Venus Williams, and no matter what she decides to do uh, during this U.S. Open, everyone should throw their support for her. Of course, they will. Uh, and who knows, maybe Venus will have an exceptional U.S. Open. I also think that an American man, because the draw is kind of more or less wide open, I think there's a great opportunity for American man, not just to reach the quarterfinals, but the semifinals at least. So I think this could be the, the chance that uh, one of these American men ha can have to, uh, to make a big splash of the U.S. Open. So we'll see what happens. Good one. Good one, Erica. I like the sound of that. It's certainly been brewing with the American men. We had Taylor Fritz win a Masters 1000. We've seen market improvements from Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo. Sebastian hasn't had the best year, but we know he's tough. Um, so yeah, something's gonna something's bound to happen for those American men. They've been putting in the hard work, and so have you guys. And thanks for spending time with me today. Um, and to our listeners, head over to www.tennisnow.com. We'll, all three of us will be covering the U.S. Open for Tennis Now. And we'll try and make it back if you guys can do it now that we've got this Zoom figured out. Maybe next week to recap uh, um, the first week and look ahead to the second week. Does that sound good for you guys? Yeah, thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, I really look forward to that. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your time. Yes, we'll be talking uh, early and often during the first week, you guys. Thanks for being on, and we'll talk soon. This edition of the Lucky Let Court Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro, Eric Goodrich for joining me and for uh, making my job easy as the host. Always great to chat with those guys. Look forward to doing it again at the end of week one. There'll be so much to talk about. I mean, it'll be a completely different world 
when we look back at the first seven days of the U.S. Open, can't even begin to imagine what it's going to go down in Queens, Flushing Meadows. Here I come, baby. Um, hour and a half till I head down to the airport. Want to thank you guys for listening. Let you know you could follow along on www.tennisnow.com throughout the U.S. Open fortnight. You could also hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash tennisnow on Twitter at tennis underscore now. We're always here ready to talk tennis. We appreciate that you guys listen. We appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. You can do that by going into Apple Podcasts, typing in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila, we can find us. Your positive words of encouragement are always helpful to us. We're excited for the U.S. Open. We know you are, too. We'll be talking to you from Queens next time. Enjoy week one of the Open, and we'll talk to you soon.